Do you like playing cards at a lower price just for something good? But do you also like being able to pay a little bit more for a little bit more broken of effects? Well, that's what we're covering today in this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood as we take a deeper look into the overload and the new cleave mechanic. They are very similar because they both change the wording of the base spell, but they operate completely differently. All right, so to start off this episode, as always, you can contact us uh, with any questions, comments, concerns, show ideas, etc. Um, you can email us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com, and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. So, Joe, with all of that out of the way, um, have you been building, tinkering, anything new for your deck of the week? Yeah. We we started doing you know again doing the things back at our our local game store, and uh, we every, every now and then they get a legacy inspired event that it's just a little tournament that pops up at our LGS. Last time we had a legacy event, you were playing your mono red burn deck that just sort of took over everything really quick. And it was more of a red deck wins because it wasn't really focused oh, that's around true. burn. It was right. more aggressive right. with in- incremental burn. But it was one of those things, like, you, you bought a challenger, and I was like, well, he just annihilated people who had actual legacy decks with a challenger mono mono red, or red deck wins, all right? So, I figured I'm going to take a different approach this time. I decided to go with a Demir Rogues aggro idea, trying to slip in under the curve of some of many of our other decks, and so this is taking an idea from what you did with very cheap-costing spells, as well as an idea from one of our other uh, players that attends where he built a standard deck where the creatures are two or less and then it's just kill spells. So I kind of took a similar approach. It's creatures, mana cost two or less, most of the rogues cost one. Many of them have some kind of evasive ability, whether it's unblockable or flying or death touch or something like that. The rest of the, the spells that I have are either counter spells or kill spells of some sort or another, and then because it's rogues, and the number of rogues that have come out recently typically tend to have a mill sub-theme that's going on with them, we also leaned into the mill sub-theme, so the two counterspells that I have, not only will it, is it a hard counterspell, but it's three cards off the top of your library into the graveyard, so thought collapse and didn't say please, play sets of both. Uh, We'll have drown in the lock in there as a, you know, a play set of that as either I believe that's that's a counter spell, or a it can be or or kill spell, depending on what I need it to be. And of course, since I'm going to have a lot of milling going on already, I think it's an an excellent addition to the deck. But I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet. I need just a couple more cards. What I like the most, <laughs> I did not realize when I was actually building this deck, because I didn't put not a lot into it. It's mostly what I just had lying around. I need to go pick up like a couple more really cheap cards. The whole deck, I think, is going to be $20 or less, which for a legacy deck is just unheard of. Um, But at the same time, I'm running all basic lands. There are, I didn't do anything to the mana base to try to make it run faster or anything like that. It's just basic lands and we'll go. Well, if you need any uh, um, water graves or polluted deltas, I have a playset of each from whenever I played Dimmer Mill. Well, thank you. I will keep that in mind. But so far, I think it's going to be low enough costing. We ought to be able to just run basics and we ought to be in good shape. Chris. What are you working on? So I actually worked on two different decks. Uh, one of them was, um, so I went and bought uh, a 
bundle pack, fat pack, whatever you want to call it, for Crimson Vow. And one of the cards that I got was from the list, and it was Vela the Nightclad, which is a commander deck that I've wanted to build for a while since I heard about it on uh, EDH Rec. Because she gives all of your creatures Intimidate, and I have I was running the Void, so I was running Colorless Creatures, which essentially made them unblockable. Uh, for our listeners that don't know what Intimidate does, uh, Intimidate is a static ability that makes it so the creature can only be blocked by Artifact or creatures that share a cu- color with that creature. And so I built that, um, playtested it yesterday, um, and uh, it actually ran pretty well, but I did find that I have a small issue because I didn't have any um, colorless lands so that I could pay the color... And actually get... The yeah. actual colorless cost that I needed. Yeah. Um, so I have some waste that I can usually throw in and alleviate that problem a little bit. And then another one was uh, I've been tinkering and retooling my um, Red Deck Winds mm-hmm. to where it can either be Pioneer or Modern. Oh, nice. That way, all I have to do is switch out some cards. Like, I think I have to switch out um, my Lightning Bolts. I think those ones... I, think, I don't think those are Pioneer legal. Yeah, so I'll... So yeah. I can easily sub those for, like, Lightning Strikes or Shocks. Right. Um, depending on how I want to affect the curve. Right. Um... But other than that, um, yeah, those are the two things that I've been focusing on the most. That's cool. Though I did start rebuilding two decks today. Um, Which two? My Azari. Uh, so my Elf Ball deck. Elf Ball, all right. And then the other one is I am redoing my Talrin Sky Summoner. So it's going to oh, be a Spell okay. Slinger to where I can get a whole bunch of drakes and stuff like that. Cool. And then because I'm, I'm hoping to be able to create a lot of drake tokens, I have cards that let me draw cards equal to, like, creature types that I can choose. Yeah. So I'll be able to draw a whole bunch of cards. So I have, like, I think I have Thassa's Oracle. I'm going to be, I have a Thassa's Oracle in there, a Laboratory Maniac, and the uh, Jace one that has the Laboratory Maniac static ability. Right. That way, if I do draw a whole bunch of cards, I can just go, okay. Oh, and I also have my Leyline of Anticipations in there. Of course you do. That way, if I go, oh, I'm about to draw all of my cards, I'm going to just flash something in, draw all my cards and win. So I'm trying to get more technical with my decks and everything, Mm -hmm. but it's the whole balancing everything and trying to find all the cards in my collection. Right. Because I know I have a Tolerant somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. But I have umpteen deck boxes that I use for storage, for like deck ideas. I have bulk card storage, and I just don't know where it is, so... That's half the battle. It'll show up eventually. Chris, as always, we like to throw out some words to live by for our our listeners. And what's the first one? All right. So the first one we're going to cover is unsets. Uh, This is slang for all of the unexpansion sets in Magic. This includes unglued, unstabled, unsanctioned, unhinged, and the new one coming out, Unfinity. Which Which just premiered today. And yeah, from what, releasing uh, pre, spoil, spoilers on it today, and from the spoilers that we've seen already, it, the they kept the trend going with the lands being the absolute showcase of oh, absolutely, like the fact that there's two versions of each basic land and both of them look absolutely stunning. Oh, I know, and they're going to the, be highly sought after again. Oh yeah, I'm still going <laughs> to. Oh, I have no problem dropping like ten dollars on land, ten dollars yeah. per land, just because of their just because they're from the unsets, but they look so beautiful, and that's one of my easiest ways that I can easily bling out a deck. Oh, yeah. Um, and then 
the thing that really got me whenever you showed me the spoilers is the fact that they're doing full art, like, unstyled lands of all of the shock lands. Which, oh my word, shock lands are not cheap as it is. Can you imagine how much those are going to run? Oh, I, I'm already going to say, like, take your normal foil shock land and double it, and that's probably what... I would not be surprised, because I'm sure they will not show up very regularly. They're going to be a hard-to-find land. And for our listeners, we do want to make sure you know, we, we don't talk about the unset too frequently, mostly because many of the cards are not legal in typical Magic games, a lot of your sanctioned events. However, cards like your basic lands, because it is just the basic land and the name appears in every other Magic the Gathering set, those are legal, and the shock lands that we're discussing, things like uh, uh, Watery Grave... Blood Crypt, Hallowed Fountain, Sacred Foundry, Godless Shrine... Because those have appeared in other legal Magic sets where any of these will be black-bordered cards, you will be able to use those versions of the card in any other deck that you want that is legal uh, sanctioned events for Magic the Gathering. But your typical unsets, they either come in silver-bordered to where they are clearly not legal, or it is just understood that the uncards are not legal because they don't work with the typical Magic the Gathering rules. But from time to time, you'll hear us talk about them, especially after today when they re- revealed those those art versions. They're just amazing. The other uh, word to live by we have is ramp. Much less exciting uh, in terms of what we could have, but you know it's still re- rather important for a lot of your decks. Ramp is a slang term that it means increasing your available mana faster than the typical one land per turn. So you're able to get more and more sources of mana on the table faster than the one land per turn where you're only getting, like on turn five, you only have five mana available, but if you've ramped out some more, you're able to have six, seven, eight mana available on turn five, which puts you way ahead of the curve and way ahead of what your opponent can do. The name comes from the card Rampant Growth, uh, Rampant, shorten it to Ramp, and typically Ramp involves adding, getting additional lands either into play or into your hand, or you're using another source that can produce mana, such as a Mana Rock or a Mana Dork, or a, a card that will, something like an Extra Planner Lens, which allows you, it's an artifact that allows every time you, you you have to exile a card when it comes into play and imprint it on the, the card on Extra Planner Lens. But anytime you tap a land that it shares a name with the exiled card, it adds two of that color of mana instead of just one. So a powerful ramp spell that allows you to really get ahead of your opponents simply because you have more resources than they do. So those are our words to live by as always. Chris, it's time to get into our show focus. Now, for our listeners, we are going to talk about Cleave and Overload today. Cleave being our featured, uh, really, mechanic because it just came out with Crimson Val about a week and a half, two weeks ago. But we are going to talk about Overload at the same time because Cleave is interesting and it has a lot to do with it, but not really a lot, a lot. And Overload is extremely similar. So we're going to get two mechanics with one show today. So we're going to talk about All of our normal uh, sections of the show, we'll have the history, the rules, we'll talk about some featured cards, but we're going to go with both Cleave and Overload at the same time. So we'll be sure to make sure we're very clear about which mechanic we're discussing so that you know what's going on. Chris, take it away with some history. All right, so for Cleave, it first 
well, it just appeared in the Crimson Vowel expansion in November 2021. Um... Overload first appeared in the as the Is It Guild mechanic in the Return Return to Ravnica set. Um, has since had several uh, appearances across multiple sets in all colors. Both of these mechanics have their origins in the Kicker mechanic, enabling you to pay more mana to amplify the effects of the spell. So, with that general idea out of the way, Joe, since you are a judge, let's hear the rules. The rules for this are actually rather similar for both, so we're going to go ahead and again kick this off nice and easy. Cleave, 702.148a. Cleave is a keyword that represents two static abilities that function while a spell cle with cleave is on the stack. Cleave cost means you may cast this spell by paying cost rather than paying its mana cost, and if this spell's cleave cost was paid, change its text by removing all text found within square brackets in the spell's rules text. Casting a spell for its cleave cost follows the rules for paying alternate costs in rules 601.2b and 601.2f through h. And then 702.148b, cleave's second ability is a text-changing effect. See rule 612, text-changing effects. Then we have overload, 702.96a. Overload is a keyword that represents two static abilities that function while the spell with overload is on the stack. Overload cost means you may choose to pay cost rather than pay the spell's mana cost. And if you choose to pay the spell's overload cost, change its text by replacing all instances of the word target with the word each. Casting a spell using its overload ability follows the rules for paying alternative costs in rule 601.2b and 601.2f through h. 702.96b. If a player chooses to pay the overload cost of a spell, that spell won't require any targets. It may affect objects that couldn't be chosen as legal targets if the spell were cast without its overload cost being paid. And then finally, 702.96b. C. Overload's second ability creates a text-changing effect. See Rule 612, text-changing effects. Now, let's break these down real quick because we want to make sure that you have the basic ideas of how this works, all right? For both of these abilities, they are text-changing effects, so you are going to actually change the, the text that is understood on the card. That's all. All right, which again is why we're putting overload and cleave together. When you are deciding, when you are deciding to pay either the cleave or the overload cost, you actually make that decision as you're casting the spell. So it's actually one of those things that you're going to announce the spell, you're going to put it on the stack, and then, then you're going to decide if you're going to pay the alternate cost, being the cleave or overload cost instead of the actual printed mana cost in the upper right-hand corner of the card, all right? So you don't have to make that choice until you have announced the spell. Now, odds are you know what you're going to do with it already by the time you pull that out of your hand. It's not like you're planning this and, like, all of a sudden you're going to make a different choice because by this point your opponent can't respond to you or anything while you're actually putting the spell on the stack and all that fun stuff. But keep in mind, it is a choice that has to be made, and if you don't realize it or don't don't know, there is an actual order of 
operations that you have to take to cast a spell and, and go through the entire casting process. And choosing that alternate cost is the second part of casting a spell. I also want to point out this rule isn't in the actual rules section, but it's rather important. Both of these uh, costs, cleave and overload, are alternative casting costs. That being said, you can only pay one alternative cost for every spell. So if you somehow were allowed to cast, say you were able to, uh, you played a card that allowed you to flip over cards off your top of your library and the next instant or sorcery spell you cast, or the, the first instant or sorcery spell you find off the top of your library, you're allowed to cast it without paying its mana cost. That is an alternative cost. So if you are able to do that, you do not get the option to pay the cleave cost because you, you, you already have an alternative cost being paid that way. You're not paying the mana cost. So you cannot choose to cast it for the cleave cost and then not pay the cleave cost. There, there are two alternative costs. You have to pick one or the other, all right? And you were already told which one you're going to pick because you were... Uh, you're, you're casting it without paying its mana cost. That's how you got it off the library. Same idea with like flashback. If you choose, or if you play like Snapcaster Mage, which gives, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it essentially allows you to pay an instant or sorcery uh, in your card in your graveyard as if it had flashback. Mm -hmm. right? So if you decide to play Snapcaster Mage and target a card with, say, Cleave, you don't get to play pay the cleave cost. You are paying the original mana cost as the flashback cost, and flashback is the alternative cost that you're paying to get that card out of the graveyard and cast the spell again. So when it comes to alternative costs like this, that's really the tricky part, is making sure you realize cleave, overload, flashback, not paying the mana cost. All of those are different alternative costs, and you only get to pick one. All right. So if you have any questions about that, listeners, please feel free to email us. We will sort that out for you so you understand what's going on. But keep in mind, one alternative cost at a time. As always, we have some featured cards. So we're going to start by talking about Cleave. And the first card we have is Alchemist Gambit. Chris, would you read Alchemist Gambit for our listeners? All right, so Alchemist Gambit is a sorcery. Its uh, original, its normal casting cost is one and two red. Um, and it says, take an extra turn after this one. During that turn, uh, damage can't be prevented. At the beginning of that turn's end step, you lose the game. Exile Alchemist Gambit. Uh, the cleave cost is four, blue, blue, red. And the bracketed text is um, at the beginning of that uh, turn's end step, you lose the game. So by paying, you can pay three mana if you know you're going to be able to win. Right. Without any downside. But if you want to be able to do an extra turn, um, that's where you'll have to pay a lot more yeah. for the extra turn without that losing the game clause. Um, honestly, I'd say that's kind of fairly costed because, you know, there's things like um, uh, Nexus of Fate. Absolutely. Which is, uh, I think that one's like six or seven mana. Yeah. So you're paying on cost for an extra turn. Oh, yeah. It's just that this one gives you the option to, if you know you're going to be able to win, you don't have to worry about the extra, the, exactly. you know, extra turn um, or whatever. Um, honestly, I'm okay with that one. 
Right, and I, I think it's worked out pretty well. Um, it, it does... It was one of those those cards that a lot of people were kind of like, well, it's probably going to end up, you know, as another big finisher for a game because All Runs Epiphany did so well with being a finisher. But this one hasn't really taken off, and I think it's that uh, the blue blue red that's required in the the cleave cost instead of straight mono blue or even mono red. However. I think this would be an excellent addition if you're out there and you're running an Obeka Brute Chronologist extra turns deck. Um, you can go ahead and pay the regular cost, and then when the uh, the trigger for at the beginning of the net that turns end step, you lose the game. When that trigger goes on the stack, you can then use Obeka, get rid of the trigger, and then you get a nice free extra turn spell where damage can't be prevented, which is a really cool addition. Um, and it works out really well, you know, and then you don't have to worry about that whole lose the game part of the uh, the trigger. I'm honestly, now that I've seen that card, because it's only three mana mm. and it doesn't and it doesn't and it makes damage unpreventable. Um, I think that might be going might be finding a home in my uh, red deck wins just as a sideboard card, just so that I can get some extra damage in and go for, go in for an alpha strike. That might work out for you. Yeah. Our next card with Cleave is Fierce Retribution. Its mana cost is one generic and a white, and it has destroy target attacking creature. Uh, it's also an instant. The Cleave cost is five generic and a white, and it removes the word attacking, so the Cleave text would be destroy target creature. Uh, I actually played with this at pre-release, and I can tell you, I, I like it, but man, that cleave cost was pretty steep at pre-release, and holding up six mana was just a lot. I think in, in uh, Limited, you know, it's going to do well enough being a white removal spell, but outside of that, I mean, the cleave cost is just... This one, I think it starts to get a bit pricey for an instant, but hey, you know, what can you do? It's... It does have that alternative cost that makes it kind of flexible. Yeah. So, and we'll talk more about using those alternative costs later on when we're uh, we're talking about how to play with the mechanic and play without or play against the mechanic. Chris, what's next? All right. So the next one is Inspired Idea. It's a sorcery for two generic and a blue, and it says draw three cards. Your maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game. Its cleave cost is three generic, blue blue. And the bracketed text is your maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game. So you pay three, you get to draw three, but you now reduce your hand size by three. You pay five, you get to draw three, and you don't have to worry about your maximum hand size being reduced. Um, I like this one because it's kind of on par. Um, so yeah, pay five to draw three. That's actually pretty good. Yeah, you I, know? I mean, there's cards that you pay a, a little bit more, not... For a little bit less, yeah. Um, but I mean, or you you pay you pay less, but you have to discard. Like you know, thirst for knowledge. You you can you get to draw three, and then you got to discard two unless you discard an enchantment card. You know, so it's kind of filtering. But this just lets you draw three. I mean, that's solid. Well, um, you know how you get around that uh, that whole your maximum hand size is reduced by three. Um, a reliquary tower. Well, yes, that's true. You, you have no maximum hand size, so <laughs> but that's not in limited. So, <laughs> but it does it does work with all eternal formats. Yes, yeah, yeah. You can get around it. However, keep in mind since he brought up reliquary tower. Keep in mind. Well, yes, you are correct that if your hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game, but you have a reliquary tower, you have no maximum hand size. So your hand size is 
unlimited minus three. But if someone were to come along and destroy that reliquary tower, your hand size is still reduced by three. So now you do have a limited hand size uh, of four instead of seven if the reliquary tower goes away. So just keep that in mind when you're choosing to make that decision. I can counter that a little bit. Thought vessel. Okay, yes. Yes, you could. But still, our last cleave card is actually one that I think is going to be pretty common um, or, or pretty, pretty frequently used in Commander. It is Dig Up. It is a green sorcery. It costs one green pip. And the text is, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. The cleave cost is one generic black, black, green, and it removes basic land and reveal it. So it becomes search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle. I really think that this is just going to be another great tutor. Uh, I mean... Uh, Granted, it's stuck in decks that, you know, have black and green, Golgari decks or Abzan or whatever. It has to have black and green. But I think this is just, it's a nice solid tutor. You know, I mean, in my uh, in the games that we played with uh, um, yesterday, I paid four mana to tutor a card with a uh, diabolic tutor. Exactly. So, I mean, if I have the mana for it, I'm definitely going to cleave it and yeah. be able to tutor. That's just yet another tutor that I can throw into a like Gitrog deck or something, and right, and like a deck that can support those colors, and that just. And it's already in black, so that's where a lot of the good tutors are. Yeah. So it's just going to be another good tutor, and tutoring, paying for it to tutor one card, that's not that bad. Not not bad at all. And well, also, um, even if you only pay the one, you're still ramping. Yeah. But, because if you didn't hit your land that turn, oh, okay, pay one, dig up, grab your land, reveal it, put it to your hand, and then put it onto the battlefield. Exactly. I mean, it's a nice, flexible card. Ramp in the early game or even the later game if you really, really need it. And after you've established yourself, it turns into a, a, an extremely flexible tutor. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a commander staple. It may not be as up there as, you know, your your uh, demonic tutors, your vampiric tutors, your... Diabolic tutors. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's not going to be up there in terms of those because the, the mana cost is just too much. But I think having that nice, flexible tutor in any deck that includes black and green... I think that's going to be a good addition to the deck. I mean, as soon as I saw that one like previewed, I was I was really happy with that. Card oh yeah, because it, I just went, all right, cool. That's another tutor. Exactly. That that was my same thought. So let's talk about some overload cards now. Chris, talk to us about the number one pinnacle of an overload card. All right. So this is what a lot of people consider to be a commander staple. Um, and it is Cyclonic, Cyclonic Rift. So it's an instant for one generic in a blue. And it says, return target non-land permanent you don't control to its, to its owner's hand. And it overloads for six generic and a blue. Um, and it has the overload clause where you change the instances of target to each. So if you overload it, it then changes it to return each non-land permanent you don't control to its owner's hand. So this is very good at like early game pinpoint removal. Um, oh yeah. If you if there's someone that's you know if there's something that you know is getting 
is going to be annoying. You can Cyclonic Riff it for two, balance it to their hand, and take care of that problem for now. But um, let's be honest, nobody does that. No, everyone pays for, <laughs> everyone pays for seven for it. I don't. I don't think I've ever, ever, ever seen somebody Cyclonic Rift one target non-land permanent. Actually, there was a Game Nights episode where they where they were like, I I am so sad that I do not have the mana for this, but this will help us. And they Cyclonic Rift. For just a target. Okay, all right. Then that would be the only time I've ever seen it happen. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm right yeah. there with you. I was like, that's the only reason why it sticks into my... Like, it sticks yeah. out to me because that's the only time I've seen it. But this one is just really good for mass balance. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you've held up that seven mana. Yeah. As soon as they go into their end step, you can bounce everything they have, and then they have to discard it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, this works especially good with, like, token decks. Uh, well, against token decks, because then they don't get bounced. Token decks they go just away. disappear. Yeah, the tokens go away. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it is a, it doesn't have a home in most other places because it's too expensive. But in, in Commander, it is a staple card. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Next, we have the card Vandal Blast. Vandal Blast is a sorcery that costs one red, and it has destroy target artifact you don't control. You can overload the spell for four generic and a red to turn it into destroy each artifact you don't control. And again, this is another commander staple. Artifacts are so popular in commander. Mana rocks uh, are especially popular, but various artifacts. And it's just it's one of those cards that you see it pretty frequently. Now that one I have actually seen cast not overloaded. Oh yeah. Pretty, pretty regularly. Uh, sometimes you just get to a point where there is one artifact that is just causing so much trouble, you have to get rid of it right now, even if you don't have the mana for it, or it's literally the only artifact on the board. And so you're just like, nope, that's it. I'm just, I'm, I'm Vandal Blasting that one artifact for one, you know. But frequently, you see that card overloaded as well. Same kind of deal as Cyclone. You're, you're just done. All right, Joe, I want you to take this one so I can take the last one. Got it. All right, so the next card is called Scale Up. This is a sorcery that costs one green. It says, until end of turn, target creature you control becomes a green worm with base power and toughness 6-4. You can overload it for four generic green green, and it changes the text to, until end of turn, each creature you control becomes a green worm with base power and toughness 6-4. This is actually a card I considered putting in my plus one, plus one counters deck, because the counters will go you know, on top of the 6-4. Uh, I, I haven't done it yet, because there's too many other things I wanted to put in there, but that is, that, that is a powerful effect. This is not as popular of a card. It doesn't see nearly as much play, but I can tell you, that 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 is a powerful effect and if you have the mana to overload it and you have your creatures have like trample or something like that you're basically going to swing in for an alpha strike and your opponent probably won't see it coming as soon as i saw that card i knew exactly where i wanted to put it and it's going to be going in it's going to have two homes my kumina uh merfolk tribal deck based on counters yeah and also my um Azuri deck that I'm going to be building up. Of course, make your elves big. <laughs> make I, that way I can either turn them into worms with this one, or if I have my Alisar Shepherd out, I can turn them into big dinosaurs as well. Yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. Um, 
like I honestly like this one, and it's so until end of turn, no big deal. Right. And it's six four. Uh, I believe overrun is five, and it's plus three, plus three, and trample. Yes. So you're getting a little bit more power out of it for one more mana. You don't get the trample. But you don't get the trample, but there are ways around it. Exactly. Um. So I actually really like this one. But well, that that's an that's one that was uh, interesting because it did come out in Modern Horizons. It was not in the uh, Return to Ravnica set like Vandal Blast and Cyclonic Rift. That one came out later when they expanded Overload to be in every color of mana. And speaking of Overload being in every color of mana, this is the card that I wanted to talk about. It is a sorcery, and it is called Dam. And it costs black, black. And it says, Destroy target creature. A creature destroyed this way can't be regenerated. And its Overload cost is two generic white, white which then would change it to destroy each creature. A creature destroyed this way can't be regenerated. So this one came from Modern Horizons 2, by the way. So again, Overload, still popular. It, you know, Modern Horizons 2 just came out this summer uh, of 2021, and this card has been kind of a staple for a lot of, of different decks. It, it's just, honestly, its second ability, its Overload, is a Wrath of God. Yeah, um, with the added, I don't think Wrath of, I think Wrath of God is just destroy all creatures. Uh, they can't be regenerated. Uh, so, yeah. so it's overload is a Wrath of God. Yeah. So you can either do pinpoint removal for two or for four, you can just do a board wipe. Um, I still like it. Oh, I do too. It's great. I love it because of the name. Cause then, you know, <laughs> cause that's like, the, I think that's the only time that there's a quote unquote swear word on the cards. Yeah. Um, but I honestly like it just because, like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, because I was building, I was trying to build a, uh, um, uh, a white black, uh, deck that was built around, uh, um, Killian, the one that reduces the cost for targeting creatures. Um, I threw that in there just because it fit the colors. Um, the sad thing is, is the overload, um, changes it from target to each, so you couldn't get the reduction in it, but... Um, it's still another board wipe. Well, I like the flexibility of it. Oh, yeah. It's either pinpoint removal or everybody's stuff goes away. Right. This actually, this card was one of those. This and, uh, like, Vindicate ended up being important removal spells when we were playing the Modern Horizons 2, like, uh, the sealed events when it came out or when we were drafting. I mean, this is, it's just such a flexible card. Uh, it does make it a little bit more difficult for Commander because it can only go in decks that have black and white. It can't go in one or the other. But I tell you, it's it's a fantastic removal spell. And again, highlights that Overload hasn't gone away. It is still being incorporated. People still like it. And people still see the usefulness and functionality of it. All right. So now that we've talked about the uh, featured cards, we're going to break it down into their dominant colors. For Cleave... There is two in white, five in blue, three in black, one in red, one in green, no, and none in multicolored or colorless. So it it's kind of sticking to the theme of with uh, Overload, whenever it's yeah. focused more in like the blue-ish, like the blue, the bluish colors. Right. Um, but it still has a decent spread. I mean, the one green, we know exactly which one that one is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the one that a lot of people are going to be going after, I predict. Um, but, but Cleave, Cleave was not a, it, it was not a a 
color pair mechanic. Yep. It, it really was meant to be something found across all the colors throughout the entire set. It just so happens that it seemed to work best with the blue cards um, and, the, you know, and then black, but nothing, no color pair in particular. Overload, on the other hand, <laughs> we have two cards in white, five in blue, three in black, seven in red, one in green, four in multicolored, which all happen to be the is it color combination, by the way, and then zero colorless. And again, we know that a majority of the colors here are from the Return to Ravnica block because it was the is it guild mechanic. That's why we see most of them in red and blue. The black, the green, and the white cards are from Modern Horizons 1 or 2, where they were expanding into the other colors with Overload, because people do like the ability. It does have some functionality. But yeah, it's it's a yeah. flexible... It's, it gives a card a lot more flexibility. Right, it really does. Uh, and that whole lack of a target makes a big deal to get around Hexproof, get around Shroud. Ward. And, yeah, Ward, those kinds of ideas. That's why you're not targeting anymore. Uh, you know, you're just... Everything gets affected. So it is it is rather good. We really don't have any featured decks, though, for either Cleave or Overload. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a spell-by-spell -spell basis, as we told you. Cyclonic Rift and Vandal Blast are commander staples. That's really the only two cards that you see on a regular basis with Overload. You don't see too much else. The, the Cleave idea, I really just think it's too new. There definitely is not a featured deck, even in Limited. It's just there, there aren't enough cards concentrated in one color pair to make it worthwhile, and you can't focus around Cleave, but I think some of the flexibility will kind of give it the same treatment. Yeah, go in where they can and where it makes the most sense and where it will do the best good. Yeah, the but, flexibility, you know, yeah. So when you're playing with this, these abilities and when you're playing uh, against these abilities, they're... Kind of similar. Well, they are the way that we have it they broken really down. Are. They're very similar. <laughs> they are, um, let's see what the nose are. Yep, the same as Cleave, same as Cleave for Overload. So with the, so with when you're playing with or against uh, Cleave and Overload, these are going to be the same um, for both of them. Um, the Cleave and Overload costs are going to be more expensive. Um, and you want to make sure that you're able to reach that amount in time. So ramping is a good thing, tying well, it back in. That was one of the, the issues that I really had with Cleave when we were doing the pre-release. My, my removal spells were extremely expensive. And one of the, you know, the, the removal spell that we have up here in white, oh, what was it again? Uh, Fierce Retribution. It was one of those things where like, well, there's a creature on the board and I really need to get rid of it but I couldn't get the six mana that I needed. I was like stuck at four or five for some reason, just having issues with mana all night. And so I could, I never got to the six mana that I needed to remove the creature that because it was such an important part of my opponent's deck, wasn't being used to attack. So I was kind of stuck. Uh, you know, overload is kind of the same deal. I mean, if there's multiple artifacts you need to get rid of, but you can only, you can't get or spare that mana at the time. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then with both of them, you want to know uh, when to cast it for its alternative cost or when you want to cost it for its normal cost. 
um, like we said with like Vandal Blast, um, Dam, stuff like that. Um, if there's some, if there's only one thing that's really bothering you, that's when you want to just pay the normal yeah. cost. Um, but if it's say with Cyclonic Rift, if your opponent is going off and they are just massing up a whole bunch of tokens and they're about to get in, they're about to come in, and you have that seven mana, that would be the best time to use it. So. Um, you have to kind of weigh your options and make that decision, even though you can wait until you have it on this, you put it onto the stack to make that decision, yeah. um, making that decision ahead of time, looking at the board state and everything like that, and picking and choosing when you want to either cast, hard cast it or overload or cleave. Um, that's um, where it will come in hand. Uh, just being mindful of the board state is yeah. what you want to be able to do. And sometimes you got to make sure you remember, uh, it, it's not always about the board state as it is right now. Sometimes it's about knowing the game and looking into the future. So you need to be able to, this will take practice, but you need to be able to look at the board, realize what your opponent is trying to do, what the, the main goal of their deck is, and then decide, like with, with Dam, is it really functional? Is it your is it most advantageous to remove everything on the board, or do you really only need to get rid of one key piece and their entire board state falls apart, and then it's not even worth it? So you don't need to spend four mana. You could only spend two, do some other things, and then not wipe out every creature at the same time. So knowing the board state, understanding what the decks are trying to do, and that just takes practice and time before you can read that. And even sometimes skilled players miss what is actually happening in the with an opponent's deck until it's too late. So, and with uh, cleave spells, and now with overload, thanks to Modern Horizons, um, they these spells are in all colors, and the color requirements will vary. Um, case in point is the uh, um, Alchemist Gambit, right? And yeah. dig up, and yep. dig up. They throw in an additional. Um, those cleave costs throw in additional colors. Dam uh, changes the color pips entirely. Mm-hmm. So not only knowing the board state and in anticipation and everything, you want to also be able to have that mana to do what you want yeah. to. So you have to be mindful of that as well. Yeah. And there are only a small number of cleave spells at this time. Don't know if they're going to do something more in the future, maybe in like another Modern Horizon set or something like that. We don't know. But since there's only a small number of cleave spells, um, just knowing what they are, just so that you can, uh, knowing what you're going up against will help you the best in knowing when to cleave and when not to. Well, and it, when you're playing against cleave and overload too, yeah. you know, you especially if you're playing uh, an opponent who, let's say they have that green-black deck and they, they, they are clearly trying to get the, the cards out, but it's just not working out all that well. Uh, you know, Or maybe their deck is trying to do something, but they're missing a key piece, realizing that, hey, maybe that overload or that, uh, that, that cleave dig up is going to come out. They're going to have a tutor, and so they are going to be able to go find exactly what they want. Or with the overload idea... If they're playing blue and you're playing a game of Commander, odds are they have Cyclonic Rift in the deck. So just be prepared. It's probably going to come out at one point or another. <laughs> you know. Also keep in mind, 
if you're playing against cleave or overload, these spells are available in all colors, so they can pop up everywhere. It's not restricted to just a certain color combination or anything like that. You'll see them across the board, and really in a variety of play styles, too. The deck isn't really specific. These mechanics aren't specific to one archetype. They can show up in a variety of archetypes, depending on the function of the spell. Speaking of, the uses in the different formats. Cleave, it's going to see play in Limited and Commander. Otherwise, the costs are just too high. It's just not worth it. Um, I, I, can't, I cannot imagine that any of the cleave spells... Right now, there aren't even cleave spells that are being played in, in Standard. People, just, they are not playing cleave. Now, that may change after rotation in September of 2022, but I think a lot of that is dependent on what gets released in the first half of 2022. And if our... our Return to Kamigawa turns out to be really awesome, and there's a fun mechanic there. Cleave may get swept under the rug, and if the what is it, the the I forget the name of the the demonic gangster planet that we're going to next. Anyway, yeah, I, I know. Yeah, it's a weird word. Yeah, the next the the set following Kamigawa, if that has a lot of really cool opportunities that are extremely powerful, and the the de- whole demon thing, I'm sure works out really well. Again. Cleave just might get swept under the rug because it, it had potential and I think individual spells might show up, but you're certainly not going to see people sort of flock to cleave spells. It's just not going to happen. It's too expensive and the the only added benefit I can really see comes in Alchemist Gambit. Maybe you'll see that extra turn spell become popular and maybe you'll see the tutoring aspect of Dig Up become popular. That would be it. Otherwise, I just don't see them being useful outside of limit yeah and for overload it's kind of similar um it'll see overload definitely sees play in um limited and commander cyclonic rift and veil no blast being commander staples um not sure how much return to ravnica limited takes place at this point it may happen but um the cost of the spell compared to the payoff is too high for um most other formats And like I didn't play when Return to Ravnica was around. I don't know if you did. Nope. So I don't know how much Overload was actually a popular mechanic in Return to Ravnica Limited. And of course that would include um, Gate Crash and Dragon's Maze. But I just I, I can't see it's again it's just too expensive. No, you're just yeah. not gonna see it. But again, uh, Commander definitely popular because those games tend to go longer the ramp tends to happen so where you can play the overloaded spells but your modern your limited or your modern your pioneer your legacy your vintage it's just not going to happen the spells are too slow yeah just not going to make it. all right so with all of that out of the way we have a little bit of scuttlebutt and uh so joe you um we actually had to decide which we had two topics to choose from and we chose this one um, because we, you, me, and, uh, another person in our group, we all got the, uh, um, the Praetor secret layer. Yep. And then it was kind of revealed whenever they all started shipping that they were reverse or like mirror image, uh, cards of Viscera Seer. Yes. That had gold numbers on it and were serialized. Um, and that's this whole 
topic of the scuttlebutt is our thoughts on serialized cards. So when we say serialized, let's get that straightened mm-hmm. out first. Um, when we say serialized, it means that there are a certain number of these cards. It is printed on the card how many the total number of cards available happens to be, and then which number out of the total is the card that you got. So for example, uh, there are 100 copies of this reversed Viscera Seer, this mirror image Viscera Seer, that have been printed, and so far I think only two or three have been found. I know number 77 and number 13 were available. I think one more has been found as well. Now, to be clear, let's start with this, all right? Viscera Seer, is not a high-valued card by any means. All right? It has been reprinted several times. It was originally printed in Magic 11, Magic 2011, all right? which came out in 2010. 2010. So this, is, this card goes for like a quarter, 50 cents at most. All right? And I think the Borderless Commander Legends version goes for like two and a half bucks. All right, so we're not talking an expensive card here. But personally, the idea that now they're going to start serializing these cards, I mean, we're only going to make so many of them, and that's it. That's all you get. That's all that's going to be released. And by the way, they did this just sort of surprise. Here they are. All right, we didn't know this was coming. It really, I, I think it's good for the collectible nature of the game. Personally, I don't want a mirror image Viscera Seer. I, I think it looks stupid. <laughs> I think it looks like a misprint. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I know people that would be interested in the collectible nature. It's something unique, different, rare. And I think my last bit of information, it, that thing sold for a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, um, I can't even... like. I'm looking like all over the internet right now as we speak, trying to find how many... Like, what... All right. So Viscera Seer number 77 okay. sold for $5,000. And again, you talked about the collectible nature of the game. Okay, but I think it kind of gets back to the same idea as what we had when The Walking Dead came out. Yeah. The Walking Dead secret lair came out, and everybody, it, it was very polarizing. You were either okay with it. I don't think anybody was really excited. Pending people were... The, the Walking Dead fans, I know, were really excited because like, it was something new and different, all right? Even if they weren't a part of the game, Magic the Gathering or anything, I know they were excited. But I think you, you start looking at these other ideas with, with The Walking Dead, and then that did really well as a secret lair for many reasons. Now they're doing League of Legends, a secret lair drop. Later on, they're going to do a Fortnite secret lair drop. And it, it, again, it just, it started to spiral out of control. And now we're going to see this again and again and again. And they are cards that you have to buy from Wizards. You get a limited amount of time to do it. And then that's it. There are no more available. Good luck. And yes, some of those cards still from The Walking Dead are incredibly expensive because they're so rare, so limited in release. I think this is the beginning of that next idea. Because these aren't, unlike the secret lair that is made to order, you may only have a certain amount of time to go get it, but they are, they, they publicize what they have available. People know about it. So yes, maybe the early ones weren't well widely known, but now you, you know about these, they, you know, when they're going to happen, you have weeks 
to make your purchase. I mean, we had what? Probably six weeks to order the Praters. I think so, something like that. Yeah, before they closed it off. And then that's it. It's gone. It's not coming back. But you had your chance to order it. It's not something that you need to get. It's just something that you can get. I think Viscera Seer, this whole idea of now we're only going to do a hundred of them. That's it. Only a hundred. Doesn't matter how many people want them. We're only making a hundred. I think you're going to start to see the same idea. It, it's gonna. It's going to turn into now we're only going to make a certain number of these cards. And it's going to start off with reprints like it always does. And then eventually it's going to go to here's a functionally unique card. We're only making a hundred of them. Good luck. Well, it, another thing that like a lot of people were up in arms about with the whole Viscera Seer thing is who kind of like announced that um, they got one. Um, because it was the first person to say, like the first entity to say that they had gotten one, the number 77, that was from Star City Games. I did not know this. So everyone was, uh, so what a lot of people were saying was, Yes, that's cool and all, but we all know we all know that that one was seated there. Entirely possible, like because Star City Games is so big and so influential. You know, well, for a while they were running the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they they were the people who were doing. I mean, that was it. It was it was Star City. So, yeah. and don't get me wrong. I mean, they have a great business model. They're a big company and everything. But I understand where people are coming from. It does seem kind of sketchy that the first one seen comes from somebody who's been working with wizards for a while. Yeah. Now, <laughs> this isn't this isn't bashing. You know, speaking ill of Star City. It's just right. that's the first person, and that's what everyone was saying was um, that it looked very shady. How. Yeah this all happened, how this all came about. Odds are there was nothing in there that Star City probably had no idea, and I'm sure they bought a bunch of the Praetor secret layers because I'm sure they'll be able to resell them, you know, and that's, oh, just, yeah. that's just good business for them. You know, and the fact that they happened to get one of the Viscera Sears, hey, good for them, no big deal. Um, it just, it, it does seem kind of sketchy. <laughs> uh, that's all. I mean, were you kind of hoping for a serialized Viscera Seer? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I found out about it, yeah, I, I did. I kind of you know, flipped the, the, the packaging over real quick and like, oh, what's the bonus card? Up oh, Swamp. Oh, well. <laughs> but it's a foil Phyrexian Swamp. It is so. a foil Phyrexian Swamp, which don't get me wrong. It's it's a unique land uh, on top of the five unique Thank Praetors. You. Yes, yes. But I I was kind of hoping, not so much even because it was a Viscera Seer, because, or even because it was a mirrored Viscera Seer, I... Again, I think the card looks stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it looks like a crappy misprint where Wizards just did a terrible job again. But it is worth a lot of money. And to be able to sell something like that, it would be nice. It'd be nice to have one. Oh, but I'm going to sell it because I don't, I'm, I'm not going to play with this. I don't want this. I, I mean, it was kind of like the whole, like, the, if I had gotten it, oh, yeah, I would have immediately, you know, put that thing up on eBay and, yeah. and you know, just wait to see how how high I can get um it was um if I had known that one of my cards was a thousand dollars at that time I would have immediately sold that no matter how much you know I thought it was funny exactly and that and the card that I that was a thousand dollars at one point was uh the void the uh oh, oh the, yeah, the, yeah the kaiju the space Godzilla home um, death corona death corona the uh crossover of a uh, void beckoner right um the only reason why it was a thousand dollars was because it came out in 2019 
um, right at the start of the coronavirus when and it, everything was getting shut down and in the United it's, States. Its name was Death Corona, um, and Wizards came out and they said that they were not going to be printing that anymore. They were going to be um, renaming it and reprinting it as... Uh, yeah. um, I don't even remember Space Godzilla's Space Godzilla. I think it was like it shows it it was like Nova or something. It shows how important it was based on the idea that we can't even remember the name of the the reprint and how they changed it. It was just kind of okay, fine, whatever. Wizards, (laughs) kind of an idea. Yeah, I get why they wanted to, but it was you know okay, fine, whatever. It was just one of those like little. It was just like one of those oops, this happened kind of deals. It's just that, you know, with the timing and everything. Yeah, it, timing was bad. It, if it hadn't been in the time of coronavirus, it wouldn't have been a big... Yeah, uh, and in their defense, all of these things, all of these cards are designed and printed. And yeah, well in advance. Year, I yeah, think. well in advance. I think Mark Rosewater said that there's usually four years between when something starts getting developed yeah. and when it's printed. So this thing's been in the works for four years and it was already printed and everything. Yeah. And shit. There was nothing they could do about so it. So there was nothing they could do. Um, I luckily I didn't sell my copy and I still have it. And it's now just one of my pet cards. Yeah. Because it's funny every time I see it, but I don't know. I, I guess I think about the serialized idea and I know it's good for the collectible nature of the game. And it's something that will help keep people coming back, especially those people that do think of it as a collectible card game. But honestly, I view it as a trading card game where I don't want to pay an arm and a leg for game pieces. You know, even even fancy alternate art ones, you know, that's I'm glad they did Viscera Seer because I have, you know, about two dozen copies already. So it's not like it's a card I'm seeking actively. But what's to stop them from doing that in the future? A functionally unique card. They We never thought we'd see functionally unique cards in Secret Layers, but it was only a matter of time seeing how they did functionally unique cards as buy a box promos. And and those cards are highly sought after. Uh, you know, uh, Kenrith, the Return King, is a commander, uh, one of the top commanders. Well, he was. he's not, he's not actually a box topper. No, uh, he's a buy a box. Uh, he's not a buy a box anymore. You can actually get him in one of the uh, Challenger decks, the Allied Forces one. You are correct. That's but where, originally... That's where I got my Kenrith. Originally. And that's the only reason why I bought the thing. Yeah. Originally, he was the Biobox. Yep. Um, the, the the M20... Uh, what is it? Um, Ren and Sari? No, no. Uh, Nexus of Fate. Oh, yeah, that one. Nexus of Fate was a big uproar, and we knew that it was only a matter of time before they started selling functional. So, again, it's only a matter of time now before... There is a functionally unique serialized card, and the odds of you getting one slim to none. You know, <laughs> pretty much nil. Yeah, and I guess I, I would rather it stay a trading card game rather than a collectible card game. But I know not everybody feels the same way. The reserve list is proof of that. Yep. So, all right, that's all I have to say about this topic. All right. <laughs> Uh, because of the length that we're at right now, we are going to forego any question uh, questions from listeners. We might be able to get to it next episode. Um, as I said at the top of the episode, if you need any, uh, if you would like to reach out to us uh, by email, you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. Thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.